Small things slithering across the woodlands know to watch the skies. A killer approaches silently as it glides from its high perches. For most small mammals and invertebrates that meet this aerial doom, it's time to say goodbye to this mortal coil. But when a particular snake comes face to beak with the eastern screech owl, they have one more chance to prove their worth. But sometimes, combating deadly predators is a matter of being worth more alive than dead in life, death, and taxonomy. Welcome back to Life, Death, and Taxonomy. It's your 30 minutes of interesting animal information. I'm Joe. And I'm Carlos. Thank you to Cassie for the creation of our theme song. To hear more of Cassie's music, please search Cassie Michelle on YouTube. And thank you to Brian for this week's episode artwork. It's particularly interesting this uh, this week. It looks very cool. So check it out at uh, on Facebook or Twitter at LDTaxonomy.com just LD Taxonomy, or you can visit us at ldtaxonomy.com. And today we're talking about an owl with an eye for allies, but more on that later. Yes. An it's... owl with an eye for allies. Owl eyes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's perfect. Uh, we're talking about the Eastern Screech Owl. Which you mentioned as the Texas Screech Owl, but there are two owls that could fit that description, but it's the yes. Eastern one. Yeah, when I, uh, when I first heard about this, it was described as the Texas Screech Owl, but I, th- I realized later that it was... Texas was an adjective modifying Screech Owl, as in, it's a Screech Owl in Texas, not the name of an owl called Texas Screech Owl. But there are... there So the... the Western screech owl has a small population in Texas, and the eastern screech owl takes up most of Texas. So, yeah. if one of them is going to be the Texas, it's going to be the eastern uh, chainsaw massacre. We're going to call it here. Well, so there's there's when it was first described, they called it feathered wild the feathered wildcat because of its ferocity in hunting which we'll talk about later. Um, Brian, when he sent in this week's artwork, he named the the, the image uh, Snake Hooter from Metal, Metal Gear Solid 3 instead of Snake Eater. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm going to call it Snake It to the Limit. That's all I got. <laughs> but enough about what I call it. Do you want to hear what science calls it? Sure. He called up a scienceman. He would say, or she would say, that it's in a kingdom that we know, love, and are in. And that kingdom is Anomalia. The phylum is Chordata. The class, it's a bird. So it's... Pause for... Actinoptergy. So close. It's, <laughs> it does start with an A, though. <laughs> Even-toed ungulates. Uh, no, it's Aves. Aves. Uh, the order is Strigidae. I think it's a hard G there. Uh, Strigidae, or it could be Strigidae. Who knows? Because giraffes, G-I. Is it, is it GIF or GIF? Who knows? The family is... Uh, oh, wait, no, I put Strigidae twice. The family... Sorry, the order is not Strigidae. The order is Strigiformes. Yeah, it's a bird. You have to have a, you have to have a Formes in the order. 
the and then the family Strigidae. The genus is Megascops, which is scops is a kind of bird, but it's not related to scops. Um, and the species is Asio or Asio, Megascops Asio, which Megascops Asio, or, or Casio. It's a <laughs> it's a it's a, a cheap keyboard. Well, not those aren't cheap. Those are actually nice. It's a decent keyboard playing Megascops, the Meg, starring Jason Statham. Uh, but since we're in the business of naming things, it's time for my favorite part of the show: Critter Groups. The part of the show where I ask you, Joe, a question, and that question is the same every time. What is the name of a group of this animal? Or what is the collective noun? Or what is the term of venery? Now, I know you know the answer to this one. Yeah. But for our listeners who maybe don't, let's let's play this game. <laughs> okay. Because it is an interesting one. It's a pretty famous one. It's pretty a famous example of the silliness of of the terms of venery if i am thinking of the one that you're thinking of yeah and i don't think we've done this one because the only other owl we've done is the barn owl and we did not we didn't have critter groups back then so this is our first owl after post critter groups um so let's do this if you saw a group of owls together would you say it's a a confluence of owls B, a sheath of owls. C, a parliament of owls. D, a diplomacy of owls. Or we'll throw an E, a city of owls. <laughs> because uh, I wouldn't believe my eyes if 10 million fireflies. I think you've used confluence before. Have I? Uh, the answer, famously is a parliament of owls. Ding, ding, ding. You're correct. Yes. It is a parliament. I was curious about what you would do because I this, it's famously a parliament and I'm pretty sure baby owls are famously owlets. But there might be other words for a baby owl. Yeah, I could have done the nitty gritty nomenclature with that one, but I didn't want to deprive anyone who did not already know that the owls are a parliament. Uh, there was that. a chance I didn't know what that was. No, I don't. I, there wasn't a chance in my mind. <laughs> I was like, he definitely knows. Because I, I, we may have even mentioned it on the show before when we're just talking about fun and famous terms True. of penury. Like crows and rats and things like that. And chimpanzees. So, do you want to know what this thing, this owl, looks like? I sure do. So, like most owls... They are imposing birds of prey with a seemingly large necklace head. Not actually necklace, but seemingly necklace and seemingly large. Uh, and uh, a puffed out chest. They have w- flat walnut shaped faces with short hooked beaks, enormous yellow eyes, and two larger. Horrible yellow eyes! <laughs> oh, at first I thought you were quoting Moaning Myrtle from the Chamber of Secrets, but nope, it's. Aunt May. Aunt May. Yeah. Yes. Yellow eyes are just the worst. Children's it's horror. True. <laughs> Even in, in The Witcher, everyone is like, you know. The Grinch has yellow eyes. Uh, body shames Geralt for having yellow eyes. It's an, it's an uh, unrealistic standard of, of beauty. Eye, eye beauty. It's like, how come they all have to be mostly white with uh, red veins? 
So, yes, they have large yellow eyes, and uh, they have two larger horned tufts. I mean, there's they're not actually horned. They're just tufts that look like horns. Um, and they're called ear tufts, but their ears aren't necessarily located right there. Uh, their feathers are grayish brown with black streaks along the belly and wings and a black line outlining the face. However, there is a red or rufous variant, which you talked about rufous meaning red when we did the rufous hummingbird episode. Um, it's it's not really red. It's it's like a it's a reddish brown, mostly brown. You'd look at it and be like, that's brown. It's not red. Just like you'd see a redhead and say that's not red. It's orange. <laughs> not it. They. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it being their hair. Yeah. Yes, the hair is orange not red but there are five different subspecies aka morphs of the uh eastern screech owl and that is the uh the first one is your dog asio yes more morph is the name of my dog so uh, one is the first one is asio so it'd be megascops asio asio um and the next one is max wellier i wonder who discovered that (laughs) Uh, the next one is has Brokey and then McCallie and then Florianus. So Kevin McAllister, Florian Blur, and Maxwell Hammer. Uh, Maxwell Hammer. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, is that isn't that the name of the bad guy from Iron Man three or Iron Man two? Maxwell Silver Hammer is a song by the Beatles. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. According to a very, very quick Google search by me. And uh, I mean, sorry, according to the information I had off the top of my head, because I'm I'm such a huge Just, Beatles Justin fan. Hammer is the name of the bad guy. In Iron Man? Yeah. Oh, wait, no, no. He's he's like a corporate executive from like Iron Man 2, right? Yeah, he's re- super forgettable. Yeah, yeah. So he's not like a supervillain. Got it. He, his only superpower is being forgettable. Okay, yeah. So... This is actually, the eastern screech owl is actually larger than the western screech owl. So I'd initially done some research on the western screech owl before I realized I was doing the eastern one. And I had to up my up my metrics a little bit. But, Joe, by how much did I need to up my metrics? Good question. That brings us to the beloved the Measure Up segment, the official listener's favorite part of the show. The part of the show where we introduce the... Or we present the animal size and dimensions in a real in relatable terms through a quiz that's fun for the whole family it's also part of the show when that's introduced by you when you send an audio yourself saying singing or chittering the words measure up into ldtaxonomy at gmail.com we i do have a measure up intro this week i think that your phrasing is uh is alienating our audience the official listeners favorite part of the show so you're saying if it's not the favorite part of the show they're not official listeners is that what you're saying with your lexical ambiguity or your semantic ambiguity that's it's not what i'm saying but i'll stick to it <laughs> <laughs> it should be the listeners official favorite part of the show because you know if they happen to you know be you know true fans and uh like critter groups more we don't we just don't we don't want to make them feel like they're not welcome here. It's the official <laughs> quote, listener's favorite part of the show, end quote. Uh, sure. Or it's the official Wait, are you quoting listeners, listeners? <laughs> dash favorite dash part dash of dash the dash show. 
It's all one big adjective. Favorite part. <laughs> favorite part of the show. It's all a description of the show at that point. Uh, anyway, we do have a new measure up intro yes. uh, from from Alex. The line. Uh, I I wrote because <laughs> last week I wrote because somebody we know sent in one Joy, and so I wrote our friend Joy. And this week I just deleted that part, but I accidentally wrote from our Alex. We don't we don't have any ownership over this Alex. Yeah, not this one. This have, Alex is completely autonomous. We we have quite a collection of Alexes, and this is not one, this this person is not one of them. Uh, but see if you can tell where Alex is from. Okay. Are you ready? Sure. Without further ado, the listener's favorite part of the show. Oi, measure up, mate. Hmm. Earth. Hundred <laughs> percent right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's that's clearly an earth accent yes this is very very terran of <laughs> of alex um it sounds australian it sounds that's like an correct. australian accent uh alex says i'm from the land down under and i have loved your aussie episodes but i would love it if you could do an episode on the quokka Ooh. It's been on our radar for a long time. It absolutely has because it's just so darn cute. So let's. I think we'll we'll have to do an episode about it. I think that might be the farthest flung measure up intro so far. I mean, I don't think you can get further away from where we are right now. It's harder to get any farther without getting closer. Or like, yeah, you'd have to be broadcasting from the moon. Even then, if we get. If we get a measure up intro from the International Space Station, We'd that's s- that's making it as a podcast. That but that would still be a lot closer than Australia. You think so? Cuz it passes over well, several times a day and it's only like 200 something miles above us. True. So what if it's what if they record it and send it from the others from over Australia, then it's even further away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although you might not be able to send it from the uh, ISS without being over from the other side of the earth. I mean, you could send it something and ping it back and forth. I don't know. That's it, true. it would be you way more bounce complicated. it along the satellites. Yes. This is important. NASA, figure this out. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I want a SpaceX mission to, uh, to, to send us a measure up from its, its uh, first manned mission to Mars. Please. Bounce it off Elon Musk's uh, Tesla. Okay. So let's talk length. They're 6 to 25 centimeters or 6.5 to 10 inches. Not the biggest owl in the world, but not the smallest either. True. How many screech owls go into the world's largest pair of cowboy boots? Cowboy boots. Disgusting. Like ones that people can wear or just anything in the shape of cowboy boots? Well, here's a hint. They aren't real cowboy boots. <laughs> but they Darn are it. a piece of art created by Bob Daddy-O Wayne. Uh, or Wade, sorry. Wade is known for creating huge art, and he's also made a giant iguana in New York. Uh, the boots, though, are in San, San Antonio, Texas. Yeah, I mean, I just have this picture in my head of a store with... Um, like a 30 foot boot over it 
and so that's kind of where I'm. It's it's it looks like one of those roadside attraction type yeah. large things. So, Quantos. All right, I I guess thirty is a good thirty feet. That's a that's a solid uh, guess, I I suppose. Like a roadside attraction kind of like if I was driving down um, International Drive in Orlando and they just have like big like a giant wizard, a big um, orange, a big, like NBA player, uh, just one of the uh, big novelty colored statue thing. So 30 feet, it's 360 inches. So 36, 36 owls, 36 owls. Final answer? Yep. The correct answer is 42. That was... I'm, I'm close. That's a win for me. I, They're 35 f- feet high. You can't see me, but I'm patting myself on the shoulder. You're Paddington Bear. All right. Let's talk with... They're 102, uh, 121 to 244 grams, or 4 to 8-ish ounces. We're going to go with 8 ounces. How many owls go into the weight of the largest drum in Texas? Texas is known for big things, so we got a couple big things from Texas. Yeah, isn't the slogan "Everything's bigger in Texas"? It's not like the the state motto, but it is a slogan you hear about Texas. Drum, like again, is this a novelty, like not actual drum, or does it does it function? Give me the hint. All right, here's a hint. The drum is known as Big Bertha. And lives at the University of Texas at Austin. She's also called the Sweetheart of the Longhorn Band. Bertha is played for after each touchdown and also sees action at pep rallies and other events. She's moved on a cart on and off the field. So it is a functional drum. It is indeed. Also, it is a musical drum. Because there's lots, there's lots of non-musical drums. Like an oil drum? Or like a... Ye- like a drum magazine on a Tommy gun. Listen, Stomp, the famous performance artist Stomp, have have showed us that lots of things can be musical instruments. I went to a live Stomp like performance in Fort Lauderdale because I got uh, I got honor roll. My dad took me to it, and I got a T-shirt, and it was amazing. The T-shirt, both. <laughs> it had a, it was it said stomp but it had like a bunch of um like trash can lids and and street signs and stuff on the background Tip to it yeah it was great i think i was 12 uh i'll say i'll say 300 pounds the answer is 600 600 owls 600 owls final answer yes because it's half because this owl is basically half a pound the correct answer is a thousand owls. Oh my! Big Bertha is five hundred pounds, pounds. Yep. or two hundred and thirty gram kilograms. Wow, that's a that's about as heavy as I learned today. Uh, a fully stocked vending machine. <laughs> <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. In case you needed another relatable measurement. <laughs> One day, although you know that, so it's useless to me. Yeah. No, no, I'm I'm talking to our listeners if you need oh, it, gotcha. something else to ground it in reality. It's a fully stocked vending machine. So when it, so the next time you uh, A thousand bu- owls is a fully stocked vending machine. Yeah, next time you uh you 
single-handedly pick up a fully stocked vending machine just think this is this is exactly what a thousand owls would feel like except I'd a be, weightless box of a thousand owls I, I would i would be in uh, attacked by a thousand owls it's the only difference all right so you ready for some fast facts sure some información rápido that's that's there's <laughs> i'm sure that's not the way to say that um so the eastern screech owl eats a lot of stuff uh, it eats insects, lizards, rodents, snails, crayfish, spiders, worms, squirrels, bats, small birds, t- turtles, fish, snakes, frogs, salamanders, and much, much more. Basically, anything it can get its talons on and fly off with is food. It is an avid hunter that swoops down on prey from a concealed perch, so it's opportunistic ambush hunter. It has insane hearing and can even hear prey digging around under heavy snow, and the reason why it has insane hearing is because of its ears we mentioned it has these ear tufts that stick up over above its head but that's not exactly where its ears are um its actual ear holes or ear drums to bring it back to drums are uh asymmetrically placed so that it can more accurately triangulate the position of prey based on where uh which ear is getting more sound and where it's getting it from and just like the barn owl our taxonomy titan alum uh it has those stealth feathers that allow it to fly almost silently as it swoops down on its prey and so let's talk about where it lives it lives in most of eastern north america uh so it's all the way down to the to south florida where you live joe all the way up to Newfoundland, where neither of us live, and extending as far inland as Texas, of course, and Mexico. So they love forests, meadows, marshes, basically anywhere where you can find pine trees or trees where you can have, like the the quintessential, like if you were to draw a picture of an owl in a tree, they they love that. They they love your drawings of owls and trees. <laughs> No, they like they like those holes and crevices that uh, are in trees, and they they like to live in those. So, um, not in tree houses, as well. Yeah, they do like to live in tree houses. So, poo, Winnie the Pooh is right. Uh, they're pretty common in areas with a lot of humans, and they're well adapted. Possibly the most well adapted owl in the world to when it comes to living near humans. But that's the tough thing to qualify quantify they will and people especially bird watchers will sometimes make little houses for them so yeah they do kind of live in tree houses uh but they'll also people make you know bird houses for other birds and the owls if they can fit in there will happily kill and eat the birds that are supposed to be there and live there themselves they are vicious this is why they're called the feathered wildcats i think that's it that does not tread upon the major fact so i will hand it off to you Okay. I'm calling this Major Fact Snake Guards. Just sounds like something that's defending uh, Imhotep's tomb in, like, the mummy or something. Exactly. That's what it is. Eastern screech owls are adept hunters and go after all manner of small prey species in the woodlands they patrol, like you said. But like every good hunter, they spare those who are better left alive. When the owls find particular... a particular snake called the Texas blind snake. They scoop them up without killing them. Uh, 
These snakes are small and worm-like in appearance. They aren't completely blind, but they're close to it, preferring to spend their days burrowed beneath the soil, like a worm. Owls catch the snakes, bring them back to their nests of hungry owlets, and drop them in. Nice. Thank you. Some eager owl babies gobble up these non-seeing noodles on sight, but many snakes are able to burrow into the foliage, feathers, and soil at the bottom of nests where no baby beaks can come after them. So at this point, you might be thinking, this isn't really something the owl is doing. The snakes are just lucky enough to be able to burrow for their lives, right? They're dropped in. Some of them make it. But... Like most owls, screech owls kill their prey quickly, often biting off their heads. These snakes make it to the nest in completely one piece. So the snakes that live in owl nests gobble up insects and other tiny nest invaders that might act as parasites to young owls. Huh. Why does this happen? Why do the owls not kill them? Why do they drop them in the nests? Research found that owlets grow up to be bigger and they grow up faster uh, when they have noodle nannies compared to their kin with no scaly roommates. Ha! Noodle nannies. That's great. (laughs) The, The snake gets a steady diet of food while the owl gets a housekeeper. So this is a clear example of symbiosis and a debatable example of mutualism. So mutualism is when two species work together in mutually beneficial, in a mutually beneficial relationship, have we ever done a mutualism well, animal? We just, I'm sure we have. We just did it last episode with the sloth. Oh, very true. Sloth uh, benefits the moths, and the moths benefit the sloth. So, under ideal circumstances, this is what happens, right? They both benefit, but the snake clearly gets the short end of the stick. They have to make it through a gauntlet of tiny, sharp beaks. And when those beaks grow up and leave, the snakes usually don't maintain a viable food source in the nest. So when 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 the snake when the owls grow up and leave and the mom abandons the nest, snakes sometimes die out. They can't it's, escape the nest? Uh I don't know. Or or they have to. It, it, what I read was they don't do well in the nest, so that might that could mean anything from they die to they lose weight and are forced to leave the nest. Um, so it's thought that insects are accidentally brought into the nest by hitching a ride on Big Mama like rats on an old frigate. Hmm. That's an interesting ins- ride for for Fran Drescher, the noodle nanny. No, no, no. This one is... I'm talking about insects that are, that are a food source for oh, the snakes. Oh, not the snakes themselves, just the... The, yeah, but it isn't. I mean, they do take a ride on Big Mama as well, but in her beak or talons or something. Uh, other insects may be attracted to other aspects of owl life, like dropped food and feces. You know all that fun stuff that yum, bugs yum, yum. so much. So, I how 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 did the owl figure this out? That's what I. It, or is it just a matter of they? some sort of learned genetic thing where like, oh, I grew up with a noodle nanny, so I'm going to get a noodle nanny for my nest. All of this sounds like apps you can get. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd think it'd be maybe some sort of adaptation where 
the bigger and stronger owls are come from uh, noodle nanny nests and um, the smaller weaker ones that are less likely to propagate didn't didn't have that uh, extra uh, emotional support but also would they even know that they came from a noodle nanny nest because they tried to eat a snake and it disappeared and that's the, all they know about it yeah no I mean it I mean it's just it's another example of like the mystery of how animals learn genetic learning actual learning it's just it's 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 like the one that blew my mind before was the uh, scuba diving spider that we did like yeah. that one is like how did you figure that out yeah you just think that uh, predation and better better living circumstances just forced them to into a certain behavioral pattern but just the idea that one that sometimes the owls wouldn't kill this snake and would instead bring it back alive and that ended up benefiting the nest and then they just kept doing that yeah you have to imagine that the first time this happened it was an accident and somehow it made its way into the genes it's incredible but like the it's not like it would be in it would be insane if the um the owlets did not attack the snake if they just if if everyone involved knew knew what the situation was knew the deal oh, I, that had been struck i read that sometimes the snakes are eaten the snakes are eaten by the owlets right, i don't you, know that every single time they try to eat them or if it's sometimes they just escape being eaten or sometimes they don't you know they learn and they don't eat but i can't imagine an owlet like any bird's nest not gobbling up anything their mother drops in yeah but i guess they're used to their mother dropping in dead things that are easy to catch and True. and eat and so if if it if it doesn't just sit there and take it like a dead thing would then it just manages to escape 9 times out of 10 and just slither down into the the depths of the nest and uh pick it free of parasites there's a lot of nice alliteration in this one so the way researchers kind of investigated this was like constantly weighing baby owls and stuff like that that had noodle nannies and that's just a funny funny thing to me just like are those owls thicker because they had a snake in their nest there's a snake in my nest. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all I got. Someone's poison the water hole. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. When you said there was like snake mutualism, I definitely imagined something different. Um, but and also, if you look at the uh, Brian's art, it looks awesome. There's, it's, it's just like an owl looking out from its, its uh, crevice in a tree, and then there's just these, these, uh, these black snakes kind of, out behind it, like they're, like they're, they're backing their boy up. Even though this, the real snakes are, probably smaller. 
Yeah, there's <laughs> when when he sent it to tiny. me, he's like, I know this is not actually how they use this. <laughs> yeah, but it'd be it'd be real cool if they did. Yeah, if they were just best best bros and and had each other's backs. And they always pose like they should be on a tattoo. Yeah, or a Megadeth album. But yeah, that's awesome. That was the Eastern Screech Owl. So for you out there in Podcastia, keep your head on a swivel. Swoop in at the opportune moment. And always keep a couple snakes handy, because you never know when you're going to need snakes. Like the Eastern Screech Owl here in Life, Death, and Taxonomy. Hey Taxonomy Titans, thanks for listening to the episode. Just a few quick things. As always, reviews and social media engagement are greatly appreciated, but recommending the podcast to friends is the best way to help us grow. If you'd like some LDT flavored merch, check out teespring.com stores taxonomy tees. That's it. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. noodle nanny is great how is that not a brand (laughs) uh like hamburger helper like just yeah mom mom doesn't know what to cook for dinner tonight call the noodle nanny yes yes there you go it's the noodle nanny i mean we already have noodles are probably the easiest thing in the universe to 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 cook (laughs) so i don't see i don't see why you need an easier version it's like, oh man, we have ramen, but it's just too hard. <laughs> it's just a packet of noodles pre-cooked in a pouch. It's just a wet <laughs> it's a bag of noodles.